Hey, all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. You know, I've been recording podcasts for over six years now, and I love that the Lord just keeps showing me over and over just how glorious the mundane really can be. In fact, I really believe that it's where He shapes our lives for longevity in terms of His life living in us and through us. Lately, I've been thinking about how our Monday through Saturday, the time between meeting with our local church or the greater assembly, how it really far outweighs the time that we spend on Sundays with fellow believers or at various events. And when I really think about it, it's like the mundane often seems to supersede the big things in life, even our dreams and plans, things we're building even ministry that we're a part of. At the end of it all, it seems that the day-to-day is the platform that God wants to use to refine us and grow us. What's beautiful and a mystery really is that this is also where we can consistently encounter Him, where the supernatural is our reality. This changes things if we let it. This redefines the ordinary moments and makes them a significant part of our journey and pilgrimage towards eternity, yes, but even here on earth as we go from glory to glory with Him. I've been on the road a lot lately, both speaking and sharing songs from the new album, and I've been telling the story a lot about when I met my friend Terry Price all those years ago. When my kids were little, I was in the thick of it, and I was trying to figure out that age-old question of how do you balance it all? And that was even what I had laid my career down for a while. I met Terry during that season and was so impressed that she was a mother of nine, she was homeschooling them all, and was also writing country music somehow on the side, (laughs) knowing that at some point I did want to return to my career in some way, shape, or form. I remember asking her if I could get coffee because I wanted to learn from her and ask her, how do you do it all? Some of you have read this story in my book, The Life You Long For, but I'll never forget asking her that day over coffee, just that, like, how do you balance all of it to feel like you're truly loving and serving your family while also finding any kind of time to be creative and fulfill some of the dreams you have in your heart? I'll never forget how her eyes welled up with tears, which kind of surprised me. But looking back, you know, she was just as much in the middle of it all as I was. That's when she said to me, all I know to do is to invite the glorious into the mundane. She went on to say, I write songs on the floor of my laundry room. (laughs) Other days, I'm praying for my kids as I fold their laundry, literally praying the armor of God over her kids as she folded specific articles of clothing. I remember it sounded wonderful in theory, but really, you know, I wanted some kind of wall chart or a checklist that I could just put on my laundry room wall that would tell me exactly what I needed to do in order to get to this magical place of balance. But I remember driving home that day with tears just streaming down my face, and I said out loud to the Lord, if this is true, if you really can meet me in the mundane, then there's no more excuses. There's nowhere that I can hide from your presence. Even in that minivan that I was driving that day, the the same space where I'll admit to you that sometimes when I'd get caught up again and living from the outer rings of my life rather than the bullseye, I'd lose my patience with my kids, even raise my voice pretty good at them, and then I would have to ask for their forgiveness. In that very space, though, it would be redeemed, and it would turn into a place of peace, 
that minivan. I even called it my sanctuary. I would go on to write probably 40 songs in that van over the next eight or nine years. And my home even became a place that I could meet with God on a regular basis. And it really was in those moments, looking back, that He was shaping me into the person that He has made me to be. And of course, it's why I named this podcast The Glorious in the Mundane as a way of encouraging you that the very same thing is possible for you today, even in the moments that feel like you're most unproductive, even when you feel extra hidden in the hard work you're doing. He sees you. He's with you. And here lately, I've actually been struck with the wonder that His presence is actually His plan for us. This isn't like a thus saith the Lord kind of a thing, but rather just a perspective that possibly shifts the way we see what we're called to do, but it can very much shift how we just go about our ordinary lives day to day. And this is why and even how we're going to lean in together today to come around this beautiful truth that God's withness with us today is the most important thing about our lives and even anything we'll experience today. But first, last week we came around the song called, Where Would I Be? As in, where would I be without the blood of Jesus? I hope that you had some time with the Lord to maybe reflect on that and remember His sacred sacrifice for you and that it had you remembering the wonders of Christ's life in you as you thought about what your life would be like without Him. I do want to come around another song together today, but before we do that, I wanted to give you a little bit of background on this title of this album, This is the Hour. When I hear that phrase, this is the hour, I really can't help but think of the word reckoning for some reason. And even the phrase, the hour of reckoning, which simply means a moment of truth or the time when something would be decided. One of the themes that I'm seeing everywhere I go is that leaders that I trust and have trusted for a very long time have been through a lot of hardship in the past few years, even on top of COVID and culture feeling extra dark and broken. And you know it's been the case for me as well, as I know it's probably been for many of you. But here's where it feels like it's shifting. In that very place of pain and discouragement that leads to almost complete disillusionment if we let it. There comes an hour of reckoning, that moment of truth, even a decision that needs to be made. Do I really believe and trust in God? Do I really believe that He is good and that He is with me and that somehow this is all going to be worth the fight? In that hour of reckoning for me, and I've been in that place multiple times in my adult life, and I know you have too. I mean, just to name a few, I think about when I lost two babies to miscarriage, when I experienced sudden sensory neural hearing loss, and of course, when I found myself ready to quit everything at the end of 2021, there came a moment of truth in all of those instances and in all of those circumstances when some decisions had to be made. And that's because the temptations were plentiful. When I lost my second baby by miscarriage, after it took a while to even conceive that second baby, the temptation was to believe that God has appointed only suffering for me, that suffering is my lot and my portion. That's what I was tempted to believe. It was much the same with the hearing loss, but I remember being tempted to believe that I was being punished by God through this ailment. And of course, wanting to quit was you know, a big one. 
The temptations there were plentiful in that I just wanted to go quiet and small. That already goes along with my personality anyway, so it even seemed logical to me in the moment to just quit everything. And I even wanted to sell our house so that I didn't have so much to keep up with. I just wanted to close in and be comfortable. I just wanted things to be easy and manageable. I wanted relief. In the last episode, I talked about the enormous grief that I found myself sitting in in that season. I was truly gutted by the fact that it seemed like we had truly reached the end of an age as a culture and as the church. Add on top of that, that I just felt small and deeply wondered if anything I was doing truly mattered. I very much agreed with Sadie Robertson Huff as she was teaching at the IF gathering this year and said something to the effect of, Sometimes it seems like the more good I do, the harder it gets. Do you feel that same way? The more passionate you are and even obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more it just feels like all hell is coming against you and your family. That can get wearisome. I shared a little bit about this last week too, but John Eldridge in his book called Resilience talks about this kind of grief I've been trying to describe and how important it is and even being able to name it and acknowledge what it felt like to be in it. John also lays out that, you know, after living through a global pandemic and what that looked like and felt like, you and I and the rest of the world have been on a quest for life to just somehow be good again. He spends much of the first part of the book helping us understand what the pandemic did to our souls. And it wasn't the pandemic alone It was that the age of comfort that we were also used to living in, that actually many scholars believe has ended, that age of comfort didn't do us any favors in preparing us to endure a pandemic and beyond. It taught us instant gratification. John says it like this, an Amazon Prime way of life. This has made us soft, vulnerable, and even spoiled. But because of who we are and who God even made us to be, instinctively we do have this longing for the weight of the last few years to to lift, for life to be good again, to have relief. John shares that for many, if that includes God, then great. But if not, many have been just fine to walk away in search of what they think their soul needs and wants, something manageable and happy and light. My brother Eric, you know, talks about Jesus. There's always an invitation, but there's also a challenge. I think many want the invitation all day long, but with the challenge, they're like, no thanks. What John Eldridge so beautifully lays out, and I shared this last fall on the podcast episode called Home when I told the story about my porch encounter with the Lord, but I shared how a few months later I got John's book and there were just several places that almost verbatim, laid out the experience that I had had with the Lord that night. It was a homecoming where I saw the Lord see me. The God who sees saw me. And as I let myself be found there completely, I found Him once again to actually be the relief that I was longing for. I realized yet again that He is the outcome. He is the answer I keep waiting for. He is the healing. And I even said out loud to him, okay, if you don't lift this, I love you. I choose you in this very place of lack and therefore 
I lack nothing. You are enough. And that, my friends, is everything that self-help isn't. Self-help, which is really just the love of self, I've personally only found it to just be an endless road of insatiable longing that just never ends. But there was something about that night on the porch when I truly didn't know if I was maybe dying. All the symptoms that I had in that moment, if you look them up online, it would say, go to the ER right now. But because of all the tests that said, we can't find anything wrong with you, there I was, not sure what in the world was going on with me. And I said out loud to the Lord, you know, if I'm dying, if I'm going to see you soon, I'm glad we're having this talk. (laughs) And the only way I know how to describe it is that it felt like a backstop where I bumped up against something mysterious, yes, but also something solid, something real and concrete, real truth, not my truth, thank God, but the real truth truth, the truth, that all my days were numbered before even one of them came to be, that this God that I was talking to knew in that very moment how many hairs were on my head, and I had lost quite a bit of hair in that season, to be honest, and I was moved to tears once more, that I wasn't just made by this creator God that I had dead-ended into that evening, but I was made for Him, and suddenly I was just held in perfect peace, absolute peace and contentment. It was sure footing, and I was standing on something that I had nothing to do with creating or sustaining. Thank you, God. And just like we've watched our own kids crave and need this kind of backstop in their lives, I folded like a child in God's presence as the sunset spread across the sky, and I came home to His heart once more. I told you in the last episode that almost every time I release worship or art into the world, the Lord has had me live and experience it first before I share it with the world. I told you that I felt like this album was an exhortation for the church in this hour, full of encouragement, yes, for the building up of the church, but also an exhortation is about a counsel. It's a truth for us to lean into in these days. And I think about how beautiful it was that God would invite me to come home to His heart last March before I had the courage to echo His bidding for anyone else to come home to His heart this March. And that, my friends, now we're in April, but you know what I'm saying. This has just been a beautiful full circle season. And that, my friends, it's just true life in the Spirit That's what it looks like to experience the easy yoke and the light burden of Jesus as we work and we create. It ends up being this invitation into a very real experience with the Father available to us because of Jesus today. I use this example in my book, and I wonder if someone just needs to hear it, maybe even again today. But the crowning glory of our gospel story is not necessarily getting to be in heaven for eternity. Of course, that's going to be amazing, and it's essential to us. But the true big, bright red bow on our gospel story is that when we believe in Jesus and we yield our lives to His, believing that we died with Him, we were buried with Him, we rose with Him, we are then reconciled to the Father right now. We don't have to wait to be reunited with the Father in heaven. It can happen now. I love to think about you and me being wrapped up as in a blanket of the finished work of Jesus 
and handed back to the arms of the Father. That Abba cry awakened in us so that we might be raised up in the reconciliation of the Father and help bring others home to His heart for reconciliation too. I want to continue next week into a little bit more background on This is the Hour and even talk about the overture at the beginning of the album. But today I want to come around another very special song to me from this record, one that also started that night on the porch as I experienced coming back to home base, to God's heart. The song is called Evermore, and it carries that phrase that I mentioned a minute ago about His presence being His plan for us. I want to read the lyrics over you as well as play the song that you might be able to just sit in this truth today that He really is with you and that He keeps His promises. And even as I read these lyrics, my prayer is always that it will simply give you language to communicate with the living God who made you and loves you and is right there with you, even where you sit right now. The song says this, My faith looks up to you today. Though I don't understand your ways and just how broken this life can be, even when I am trusting you. But suddenly all I can see is what these trials afford me and how they're bringing me back to your heart, back to your heart, where your presence is your plan for me and your will is where I'll always see that on every mountain high, In every valley low, you are here with me. And there's no outcome that is greater, no promise that is sweeter. And the answer I keep waiting for is you are with me evermore. The more I spend my days with you, I understand what you've called me to, to love you more than anything so that your love can pour through me. More than the dreams I carry, more than the plans before me. Jesus, you are the joy of my life. You're the joy of my life. You are the healing, the breakthrough, the way through, and you are with me. Yes, you are with me evermore. My portion, my measure, my treasure is that you are with me and your presence is your plan for me. In your will is where I'll always see that on every mountain high and every valley low, you are here with me. And there's no outcome that is greater, no promise that is sweeter. And the answer I keep waiting for is you are with me evermore. I've said that phrase a few times out loud from a few stages recently. His presence is his plan for us. And I was met with what felt like Just a good old crickets chirping moment. (laughs) Maybe I should pose it like a question. What if his presence is actually his plan for us? I've thought about it a lot, and I've actually held it up to Scripture, and it actually checks out. Again, think of it more as a perspective, on our mundane in particular. I can't help but see God's presence as the prize when I look at Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve had sinned and they heard God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he called out to them, where are you? Even God's question to them in that moment was foreign. In his original design, before sin caused separation, he'd never even need to pose that question 
being with him would always be where we are. Strangely, it was another question that would tempt Eve and her choice in that temptation would cause a cavern between us and God. As the enemy in the form of the serpent in the garden would ask, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? I've heard my friend Michelle bring this up several times, but doesn't it just seem like the enemy is still posing that question every day about everything God has said and established to be true? Did God actually say that's who you are? Did he actually say you should do that? We know from verse 10 that tragically Adam and Eve hid from God's presence when they heard him call out to them because their eyes had been opened to their nakedness and they became ashamed. God's presence was always enough, but sin caused the rift between us and God and the cost was enormous. We see here the precious prize that is God's presence through the lens of this loss of God's presence with Adam and Eve. If you read my book, you know that God gave me a picture many years ago to unfold what living from soul rest really looks like. And it's a bullseye in concentric circles, like a target sign, if you will. And when I see the bullseye, I think of words like identity and belovedness. In the book, I actually put the word calling in that bullseye, which might kind of seem strange, but it's because I really do believe that according to Scripture, the highest calling on our lives is to live as a loved son and daughter of God. Sonship and daughtership, it's our highest calling. And in the bullseye, too, I'd say these words that God's presence is His plan for us, for us to live loved in our relationship with Him. And this then reclaims the outer rings of our lives for His glory. You know that part of my story is that God met me in Psalm 37 with that bullseye picture. And I heard Him say to my heart of hearts, Christy, just hit the bullseye and I'll take care of all the outer rings of your life. I'll show up and I'll show you my glory. I believe that hitting the bullseye is one and the same with daily just walking with God in communication, confession, and consecration. We've talked about that before. And then I think that's one and the same with just His presence being His plan for us. Our part in it is our awareness of His presence, yes. But even more than that, the bigger question is, what is the prize or the treasure of our lives? A lyric in the overture on this new album, it says it like this, it's time to ask the heart, who do you love? What do you love? I can't help but think about the life of Abraham when I adopt this perspective of God's presence being his plan for us. God's covenant with Abraham was absolutely pivotal for us, for the whole world, especially in light of the fall in the Garden of Eden. God would establish a covenant with Abraham in order to restore his presence to his people. As you know, God promised Abraham that his descendants would outnumber the stars. Yet we know that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. And I don't know about you, but I could so relate to the worry and the wonder. And I don't mean like wonder in the sense of like awe and intrigue. (laughs) I mean wonder in the sense of like, God, I don't understand what you're doing right now. I'm trying to figure out that you keep saying this and that's not what's happening. (laughs) In fact, Abraham and Sarah would actually grow pretty weary in the waiting and would even take 
matters into their own hands to try to produce an heir to fulfill this promise God had made to them. Sarah tells Abraham that he should conceive a child with Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and even brings her to him to carry out the act. And there's so much this story that we'll just have to come back to another time. But goodness, even Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands rather than staying in the bullseye of God's presence and believing that what he said would happen would happen. In some ways, it's comforting, isn't it, to know that even very godly people still sometimes doubt. I also believe that this story, among many others in Scripture, reveal that we so often become fixated on the outcome rather than staying centered in the person who is the outcome. We're not going to spend time on this today, but the same is true with the Israelites. And I realize that you can't really declare a blanket statement over the enormity of what the Israelites experienced, or even the enormity and vastness of the Old Testament. But we do see some themes emerge with the Israelites that often we can identify with. And it's usually not their best qualities that feel a bit familiar to us. At least that's the case for me. Often it's their forgetfulness of God's faithfulness and provision. I know for me, it's the grumbling and the complaining that unfortunately rings a bell in my own life. Even the temptation when the going gets rough to return to facets of idolatry and slavery in my life, just to have what maybe feels like stability. God gave them everything they needed, a cloud by day, a fire by night, to assure them that He was with them. He gave them quail. He gave them manna, which was a literal picture of His sustaining provision day to day. But over and over, we see that their eyes were so fixed on the prize of the promised land that they are not able to see Him. And when we truly see Him, we're never the same again. I don't know if you were anything like me in your college years, but I was so very wrapped up in what God's will was for my life. I just didn't want to miss it as if it was going to be just like this one thing (laughs) that I was going to do that would fulfill my purpose in this life. Should we desire to be about the Father's will? Yes, of course. And does He have specific purposes and plans for our lives? Absolutely. But I wonder if His will for us isn't so much a specific vocation or even a ministry, as that can change from season to season. But I wonder if His will is that we'll always be in tune with His presence, His very presence with us. I know that's what I pray over and over for my own kids. God, draw them to the very center of your heart, because I know that out of that, is going to come a wellspring of purpose and fulfillment. You know me. I was one who got it wrong for a lot of years, running completely ragged in the outer rings of my life, trying to keep showing up for God in every way, shape, and form. When He already went the distance, He already showed up for me. And when I choose Him over what I'm trying to build, in other words, surrendering myself to be built, So much of what I'm doing, I find, gets visibly and tangibly marked by His presence when I value Him over what I'm doing for Him. So yes, it matters what we do with our lives, but if we really think about it, I think it's plain to see that His presence with us as we do whatever it is we're doing 
is what is most valuable to God. And it's his presence that propels us into the things he's prepared in advance for us to walk in. That's Ephesians 2.10. But back to Abraham and Sarah for just a moment. We know that God in his mercy redeemed their little outer ring hustle to try to fulfill God's promise on their own. But God always knew that Isaac would come. And through his family lineage, the Savior of the world would come. In keeping with God's presence, being his treasured plan for us, I can't help but think of Genesis 22 when God calls Abraham to go to Mount Moriah to offer Isaac as a living sacrifice. I'm sure if I were in Abraham and Sarah's place, I would often look at Isaac and I would just want to put a bubble wrap of protection around him as I'm sure I would just view him as this commodity. I mean, when you're 90 years old, there's really not a plan B, you know, to try to have another kid that would fulfill the promise. (laughs) Isaac is the plan and there was no turning back. But here we see that God wants to get to the heart of the matter here with Abraham. As if to ask, who do you love? What do you love? Is Isaac the prize? Is the current plan blinding you from truly seeing me? I've been thinking of this story a lot lately, as well as a song from the 90s by Larnell Harris that I loved so much when I was young. And it's about this very story. The chorus says, When praise demands a sacrifice, I'll worship even then surrendering the dearest things in life. And when devotion costs me all, you'll find me faithful to his call when praise demands a sacrifice. And the bridge says this, God hears the words of praise we lift. Yet I have found he's honored most by what I'm willing to lay down. You know, this story feels very abrasive. In fact, I'm sure it offends many But I believe what makes it abrasive is that Abraham had actually learned to walk with God by this point in his life. And it's his immediate obedience and trust in God. That's what makes this feel heartless. But if you think about it, it's actually filled with heart. Abraham had discovered that God's presence is everything, and that when he says he will provide, He will provide. In fact, in verse 5, you'll notice that Abraham tells his servant this, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. Even here we see that Abraham is confident that the boy will return with him. He's anticipating. He's filled up in his heart with faith that God is going to show up. As Isaac asks that day, as he himself carried the wood for the fire, he said, Father, where is the sacrifice? Abraham said, God himself will provide. This story is what's called a prophetic reenactment, as it ultimately points to Jesus. Think about it. Both boys had miraculous births. I think about even Isaac carrying the wood that day up Mount Moriah and think about Jesus, how he carried a wooden cross to the hill called Calvary. As the story unfolds with Abraham and Isaac, the scriptures say that as Abraham lifted the knife, 
God called out to him to not harm the boy. And he revealed to Abraham that there caught in the thicket, there was a ram, a male lamb that Abraham would sacrifice instead. And then, of course, the story would unfold for you and me that Jesus was the spotless, perfect lamb, the final Passover lamb that would take away the sins of the world. Yes, even this perspective of God's presence being his plan for us extends in the form of his son, Jesus, who was God with skin on. His name is Emmanuel, God with us, and even now with us and in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful plan for his people, us, the people he so loves. I'll talk to you soon.
every mountain high and every valley low you are here Is you are